first time I truly believed we were fucked was that Wednesday night. The Fire Music Festival hit with a class action lawsuit. Fire Festival, the event that was supposed to be the experience of a lifetime. A Fire Music Festival creator now arrested and charged with wire fraud in a separate case. Alrighty, three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to No Offense. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, our guest today is very well known for creating the infamous Fire Festival. He's a serial entrepreneur, um, and uh, really happy to have him on. Billy McFarlane, welcome to the show. Glad we can make this happen. Thanks, Billy. Yeah, excited. Don, thank, yeah, thank you guys. Excited to go in, and glad, uh, glad we're finally here. How's everything been going uh, the past few months? Dude, it's wild. Um, four months now since my sentence ended. Just hosted a first little event last night, actually. Did like a small get-together for some of our pirate crew members, as well as like a Magnesis reunion. So got to see some of the old card holders from like eight years ago. So that's pretty How'd wild. that go? Uh, good. A little hungover right now, but glad to get back out at it. So it was fun. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I'm glad we got to do this. And we definitely want to hear more about the Pirate uh, Collective and everything you're working on right now. But I guess, you know, for everybody that's kind of watching right now, if you want to, you know, we could kind of take this back to the beginning. You know, you've yeah. started multiple businesses and we're super interested in hearing that story. Young entrepreneur, right? I mean, 12, 13 years old, you had your own company. I mean, give us a little bit of background on, on how you got into everything. Yeah, sure. So started programming in fifth grade and have been running or attempting to run online businesses since I was like 12 years old. Um, had some small social network-based websites throughout middle school and high school that I sold. Basically took those proceeds, went to college, living alone for the first time, experienced like New York City nightlife and like all the crazy things that I guess an 18-year-old boy dreams of. <laughs> yeah. Blew my uh, middle school, high school startup cash. Realized like I had to start from square one, started programming again, and really built my first venture back startup during my first year of college. And that led on this seven year run that concluded with fire in the fire festival and then four years in jail. So, and, and were you referring to Magnesis for that one, for the first venture backed one? I actually had a company before Magnesis called Splin, where I ended up making software for like a lot of record labels and TV networks. And that really gave me the idea for Magnesis as I started to meet and interact with all these entertainment companies that were like a pipe dream to me, like the year before in my dorm room. And so Magnesis came and explained. I got to ask you too, you know, so when you're 18, 19 years old and you're going to raise, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars from investors, yeah. you know, how do you approach that? And what is the anxiety level like? And how do you also get over the fact that, did you ever have a doubt of like, am I too young for this? Or mm -hmm. do I know what I'm doing? Like, how did you approach that whole situation when you're that age? So the way I found my first investor, I think is kind of like a mostly untold story, but it's fucking wild. So I get home from college. My family knows I'm working on Spling and they get my like college report card. And it was brutal. Like, you know, straight like D minuses. They school basically didn't want to kick me out, but they kind of barely passed me. <laughs> and my family basically said, quit Spling. Uh, or else we're going to cut you off. And that means like, you know, you, you lose our support. She said, fuck that. I'm going for spling. And they kind of gave me a week to get out of the house and figure my shit out. I went online and found this startup pitch event in Philadelphia. So basically used all my last money to take this Amtrak train ticket for my suburban New Jersey community to Philly. Pitched to this room of like a hundred, you know, bullshit service providers and salespeople and whatever. And there was this like really kind of crazy guy in the audience who comes up to me after and hands me a business card. It says on one side, professional angel investor. And the back of it, like 40 companies' logos. And he's like, look, bikini.com is like this great company. And like, meanwhile, like he was just having fun, but had like huge wins as, a, as an investor. He goes, send me your pitch presentation and I'll take a look. So I said, yeah, yeah, sure. So on the train ride back, I had no idea like what a pitch deck was or any of this. So I put together something on the train, emailed it to him that night. And then at 5 a.m., my Blackberry bings. He just goes, Billy, this is shit. Uh, I live in New Jersey too and meet you for coffee in the morning. <laughs> so went and met this guy for coffee and literally at the Starbucks and I'm like this 18 year old kid who's like got a couple days to get the fuck out of the house. He literally hands me a check for a hundred grand. Like oh, no questions wow. asked. Like like no no deal in a napkin, like nothing. And he goes like, go have fun. And I trust he'll give me the same terms that you give the next investor who comes on board. That's oh, so, huge. Wow. Yeah. His that name is, uh, yeah. His name is John Ason. Uh, he passed away a couple years ago when I was in jail, unfortunately, oh. but he was like this legendary, you know, Northeast angel investor. And 
literally met him from this random online pitch event. In the rest did of the he did he stay with you throughout your other ventures as well? Then too, uh, not fire, but he was involved in spilling a magnesis. Yeah. Okay, that's awesome. Getting that first investor, right? Your first pitch, like actually came through. Did that like kind of yeah. like give you like the like the motivation? Like, wow, maybe I can actually like. Like you are, you always seem like you had an entrepreneurial spirit. Did it seem like after you got that, you're like, okay, one of my ideas are actually good. I like this. This is, this is the shit. I think it was just like so unbelievable. I went from my world crashing down, basically saying I have to give up the thing that I cared about most at that time to then like randomly finding this guy, John Ason, who is just a total legend who just came with a check in a Starbucks in New Jersey. And I think like that lesson really stuck with me both throughout good and bad times. And it kind of gave me this spirit that whatever boundaries that I was setting or being set for me were possible to basically break and go beyond. So I think that helped in a lot of ways, but it also led to like a lot of the bad decisions and like bad mental thought processes that led to the lies and the, and the failure of fire and fire festival. And I remember you kind of mentioning that you were, you know, at this age and you see all these logos as a kid and now you're meeting with yeah. Def Jam Records and all this and how just surreal that was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you kind of mentioned how you started going into Magnesis and that became a majority of your focus. Um, yep. How did that transpire? How did that whole story begin? I know you've told it a few times, but I'd love to hear it again. Yeah. So I was in the second ever WeWork lab space in New York. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. Working on Splin. At the time, I think it was like 15 companies and you had to apply. So it was mostly like early venture backed startups. It's like pretty cool group and yeah, awesome, awesome environment. And I literally went to dinner one night and a friend just pulled out, you know, their family's black Amex card and we all split our like little dinner bill and was kind of in awe by this card. And I'm thinking like, I know every entrepreneur in my WeWork wants one of these damn like bond cards, (laughs) but we were all kind of like early stage guys and no one really had any cash. So, I went on Alibaba and this is way before Alibaba was like a thing in the U S mm-hmm. and bought like a black piece of metal and a credit card copier. It got to my WeWork. I copied my chase debit card onto the black metal card, found some guy named Barry in the diamond district of New York. So like engraved like my <laughs> name, my name and, and, and chase card number on the card. And like went to a pizza place, went out that night and like got more attention than I ever have in my life. I'm like, all right, this is fucking sweet. I started selling these cards to people in the WeWork labs and literally that time Magnesis was born. That's 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 kind of like before like, you know, Apple has like the whole metal card thing. It's kind of like the first like metal card trend that you started kind of. This was 20, early 2013. So So, it made it like uh, accessible. But so real quick, a side question for the WeWork, since it was one of the first ones, did you get to meet Adam Newman? Was he like one of the people pitching you on it or? Yeah, yeah, he was there. It's literally like they only had one floor at the time. (laughs) That's so yeah, and it was it was called WeWork Labs. Like it, I guess it wasn't even officially like WeWork yet. Same concept, like same company, but they were early on in the process. And I think their initial idea was companies who went through like incubators, like these accelerator programs that got funding, didn't really have a place to go after, and mm-hmm. we were one of them. So they essentially were partnering with these like accelerator programs to be like the next step space. And yeah, ten years later, I guess WeWork's been been through it as well. So <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's why that's, that's so yeah. funny that Adam Newman's kind yeah. of in there as well. It's like yeah. full circle. We loved that show. We crashed. That was amazing. Yeah, dude, that's the only one I watched. Like yeah, that whole scripted, like you know, internet age yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. story series. Yeah, it's the only one I saw. Yeah, it's amazing. I love those miniseries. Did you ever watch any of the? Just might be hoppy forward. Did you ever get a chance in jail to watch any of the the documentaries that came out of you or, or anything? No, that? Your, no, no. Probably would do it. Yeah. yeah, was it? Was that more of just from like a perspective that you weren't ready to deal with it yet, or you just didn't want to watch? Like, because I know there is fluff pieces mm-hmm. with stuff. Like, there, yeah. it's in their hands. So, like, they might be saying a truth that necessarily might not exactly have been what it happened, but mm-hmm. like kind of close. But they're missing like little nuances. So, did you just avoid that? I think I was just trying to protect myself at the time because I knew I was going to get so pissed yeah. at whatever anybody said. And like, even if it was 90% true and I was still like totally wrong, mm-hmm. I would focus on that like 10% and be like, no, it didn't happen that way. And like, I'd want to go respond and just get in yeah. more trouble. So yeah. Yeah. it was almost like to protect myself. But now it's like a pride point. Like I'm not watching that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I'd do the same thing. Yeah, I mean, naturally you were probably going yeah. through, I mean, tons of like, yeah. A bunch of stuff at that time probably would have been the best. <laughs> it's probably a wise decision on your part. And just not being able to respond almost makes it worse. Yeah. Yeah, like, right. Yeah. You have no outlet in jail, right? So like yeah. you can't take your like emotions or aggression or anger or like resentment or, or sadness out anywhere. So you're kind of just like stuck mm-hmm. in your own mind. 
Yeah, it, just, it makes everything worse. Did you learn a lot from being in that place for so long about how to kind of like process your own emotions and things like that? Because you were never able to like, you know, utilize the same outlets that you would in the normal, in the normal world. Yeah. And just like, I can't do it again. Oh, so yeah. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I imagine that's crazy. Yeah. Moving on. Um, after magnesis, how did you start getting from magnesis? Where did like the whole fire idea come from? Cause I know you mm-hmm. had the app first, right? And then it, it yeah. kind of evolved into fire festival from there from stepping from magnesis to fire. Where did like, where did that come from? Where was the bridge there? So there are two real components of magnesis that led to fire. The first was that we were booking a lot of these like B list rap artists to come perform small concerts for our magnesis members. Yeah. And all kind of gets back to this idea, like what did 15 year old Billy like wish he could do? And like, I want to hang out with rappers. So, yeah. <laughs> so now magnesis gives me like a, a great excuse and B, you know, the seven grand I need to go book some, like some artists to perform three songs. So, <laughs> so I started booking these rappers for magnesis parties. And the entire process just made absolutely no sense. Like I had a semi-interesting company with a good audience, right? Like most of these artists would love to get in front of the Magnesis audience. And it was, and my money was real. I'm like, we were paying like, but it was still so hard to get these deals in front of the right people. And there were just so many pieces of shit who claimed to like represent these artists or be managers or be agents. And almost all of them were just like lying. And I was paying middlemen and just going through all this rigmarole just to get in front of these artists. And so eventually like at one of these bookings, I'm like, damn, I should just make an app that lets all the people like me, like all the idiots like me go directly <laughs> to these guys. Welcome if you need them. Here you go. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm it's sure like the wild like west. A, yeah. There's gotta be a thousand of me. And if like one of these artists could do a thousand shows, like they would totally take it. So the entire Genesis of fire app was trying to provide this like transparency and almost like an open marketplace in this world where smoke and mirrors and like sure. gated access was, was the norm. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's honestly such a great idea. So then that kind of transpired after the whole Ja Rule situation, right? Going through booking him. How did that all uh, happen? Yeah. How'd you guys get connected? He was like the final, final leg in that journey where I'm like, all right, this is fucking ridiculous. Like <laughs> yeah. I went through five people who all told me different answers, different prices, mm-hmm. like different relationships. And then I asked him when he was finally there to perform, like, why did it take so long? And he goes, Oh, I found out about this like this morning or last night or whatever the time <laughs> frame was. Like that just made no sense. Yeah. There has to be a way where like I can go directly to him where it's not too invasive for the talent and they can just see an offer, like click yes, no, or negotiate and like keep it like that. Almost like an Airbnb, I guess, yeah. you know, for entertainment. And that's where the fire app came from. But meanwhile, while this was all happening is a couple of Magnesis members were hobbyist pilots for fun, like not as their careers, but just like literally as like weekend hobbies. Mm-hmm. And they started taking groups of Magnesis members, these outer islands, of the Bahamas. So on one end, I'm trying to book rappers for these small shows in like New York or Washington, DC. And the other end, I'm taking two dozen Magnesis members to these outer islands with populations of like 10 people for these wild weekend trips. And these worlds slowly started to converge. That is, fa- you, when you first went down there, were you just exposed to a whole new world and you were like ad- almost addicted to it? Because I could yeah, imagine so much how much so that fun he, that he would He stayed be. there for a while, right? <laughs> Didn't you like kind of move yeah. there? <laughs> it's, it's like the ultimate playground. And we literally took this like really shitty 1960s propeller plane from New York to Satter Island, basically ran out of gas. And you just kind of see this like decrepit asphalt landing strip. And the pilot's <laughs> like, oh, don't worry. We, we wake them up. We wake them up. And he's like, doing a flight like 200 feet in the air, like circling around this guy's house. Like, what the fuck is he doing? So we go and land at the landing strip. The guy's there in his little like golf cart, like to pick us up or else he wouldn't have known we landed on the island. So it's just like introduced me to this world where there were no borders. There were no boundaries. Yeah. You take these little planes and you have this ultimate playground of like the most beautiful water and adventure destination ever seen with incredible warm hearted people. And it's like, Magnesis members who were open for adventure. And it was like this perfect formula. We should have got him on the podcast during that. That would have been a hell of a <laughs> podcast. Come down for that. Oh my God. That would have been a blast. Okay. So here, here's my podcast idea. There's like, I, I can't go to the Bahamas right now, but, <laughs> so, but some, maybe another country out there, but there are a thousand islands in the Bahamas and like each one has its own theme. 
So I think an amazing podcast would be an episode from like a different island every episode. So you bring like an interesting guest, like XYZ guest at Danger Reef or at this island, and you pick like one really cool adventurous island and change the scene up for every single guest. I think that would be awesome. And I think that would be awesome. Yeah. We're sold. Yeah. We're sold. Let's yeah. do it. We're hiring. So I think that would be fun. We can Let's send go. a yeah. Navy SEAL down there first to clear it. Yeah, there we go. That, that's great. Like, that's, one of the epi- that's one of the episodes. Like, you know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. no, so when you were traveling, obviously you're going down there, you're having a blast with like your, you know, your group yeah. of friends and whoever you brought and everything. Did that, was that just the inspiring part of the adventure of just going to all these islands? You're like, man, this is like, a crazy ass feeling you can go to an island that no one's ever been to and you can go snorkel or scuba dive or mm-hmm. find things that people haven't been on for years is that kind of like the whole like kind of like the uh, inspiration for fire like just like the adventure part of it absolutely i think like a lot of these early adventures were just things i never really knew you could do mm-hmm. you know, they weren't like what you get in your typical resort at some tropical destination like i just didn't know that you could just like take a jet ski in the middle of the night and just like, you know, go night diving with no help and like yeah. no instructors. And, like, <laughs> Sounds incredibly like, dangerous. And you're probably going to be okay. Like you could just go and do it. Like all this stuff really opened my eyes to what was possible. And I think that at the same time, I was kind of realizing as these trips started growing and getting proven out, we were taking more like established people on the trips who in New York were like, super stuck up and like had their army of assistants and like offices and all this kind of shit. And all of a sudden we're on this remote Island and all of that, like, you know, I'm the most important man in the world. Pretense is totally dropped. And like, as we're doing these adventures, it's all stripped away and these people are really coming together. And then we come back to New York and it didn't fade away. Like we were all becoming like really close friends and confidants. Mm -hmm. So I think there's like this genuine magic to it is like when you push the boundaries of life with people, you become close. You take and them out of their that, comfort. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, and a really extreme example of people who go to war together, right? They often like form great like brotherhoods and friendships. And this is the less extreme example of that. It's like when you try like wild things with different people, like you often become close. And I think that can be really channeled and bottled in a good way. It's probably because you're doing like a once in a life, like kind of a once in a lifetime, like memory that like you'd remember a lot and you're with these certain people. So when every time you think about it, you're like, oh yeah. man, I miss them. Like, and just, you guys have become super close. It's probably part of it. For sure. And how long were you doing this until, um, the idea of the festival kind of came about? Yeah. So we're doing these trips for two years okay. before fire festival, like even like was the thing. So two years later, we had literally just launched like, the, the fire booking app. Yeah. And it was like an early September weekend in New York. It was Friday. I'm literally hung over in bed at like 5 p.m. still. Like I was, I was fat as shit at the time. So I'm like, hey, look good. I was, I, was, I was all alone, literally like eating ice cream in my bed. Like not, not even kidding. Like at 5 p.m. I'm like, fuck, I want to go back to the Bahamas a few months since the last trip. But I'm like, I'm doing a little bit better now. Like maybe I can get a jet down there instead of some shitty power plane this time. Nice. So I call this guy who worked for me. I'm like, dude, like let's go to the Bahamas, get a plane. And like seven hours later, I rounded up 10 random friends and we're on a jet back to the Bahamas. And we're there like doing this weekend trip. My high school, my, like literally my old high school buddy goes, you should totally do a festival here for all your menus. So it's all his fault. And it's that guy's fault. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, all, it's, all, it's all his fault. Was, it, was, it, was there drinking revolving around this idea when you guys made it? Uh, I don't even remember. Like, I think it was during the day. We were just like walking around one of the sandbars, and he's like, "You should, do, you should totally do a uh, uh, like a festival here." A That's an here, incredible idea. He like, must have. He must have not. Yeah. I still right. think it's awesome. Yeah, he must have not known who he was talking to. He's like talking bullshit. He's like, "Yeah, man, somebody should throw a festival here or something." You're like, "Yeah, yeah we really should throw a festival." Here. That's a great idea. <laughs> and he's some like uh, I will. I'll give give him. He's like some super boring corporate like you know sales like you know middle management like yeah, yeah. guy right like yeah. like can never actually fathom that idea of becoming a reality. I'm like, no, that's a great idea. And like, what if you make it a treasure hunt too? And he looks at me like, I'm crazy. Like, You're really going to do this. Right. And that was September. And then fast forward three months to December of that year, our marketing video drops. So it all just like, that's yeah. fast, it happened yeah. like that. And I, I want to touch on that for sure. That whole campaign. I, I honestly think that was one of the most impressive social media campaigns that has gone on. It was so last, dope. Yeah. I mean, how did that transpire? Like, did, was that your idea? Did you work with an agency? Did you have your team around mm-hmm. you? Like, how did that whole idea of let's bring the top influencers together and have them do mm-hmm. a coordinated basically post? How did that all happen? So, so many people have said like, oh, it was their idea. And the reality is it really wasn't one person's idea. Yeah. It just like came together from three months of 
just trying to up the ante and push the stakes in the island. Like we get back from that trip and I tell like uh, the one guy who I think was in one of the documentaries named Delroy, who was like the bartender for that first mm-hmm. trip. I'm like, Delroy, I'm coming back in two weeks and we're doing a festival here. And he's like, yeah, yeah, all right. So I get back to New York and I'm like, okay, I think we need models to, to help promote this festival. <laughs> so I, I call the president of like, at the time, the biggest modeling agency in the world. And I give a, a request list for five of the who's who in the modeling world. And he literally just like laughs me off the phone. He's like, yeah, not happening, kid. Like, I don't care what you're offering or what you can pay or what island you claim to have been to for vacation. But like, <laughs> these girls aren't coming. So I kind of worked my day down the list until an agency finally says yes. And we go back two weeks later, as promised, do the exact same trip. And the girls come back and they're like, that was the best fucking weekend of my life. That's and awesome. then word gets around. So every two weeks, we would like step up one rung in the ladder until, you know, a few trips later, the same guy who laughed us off called us back and is like begging for us to, to take his talent. And did you, trips. did you have to pay that talent whenever they called you and asked to come back? Did you have to pay them or did they want it for like their own promotion as well? So we paid for like the super A-list ones to come. Okay. And then as soon as we did that, like, they all just want to come for their own promotion. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think this has been covered. We, we did a like an open casting call that winter, <laughs> and like we had like so, it was really bad. Like, it's not funny. We had this, <laughs> it was really bad. We had this Tribeca like storefront townhouse, like a three story thing. And on the main floor was our tech floor, so we had all these like engineers, their headphones on, their big monitors, and we had this like super nice conference room downstairs. So all these girls wanted to come on the trip and our entire game plan of the casting call was to build a database of every female influencer in New York that we can form a relationship with and and like get them to market with us. So they come in their big coats in the winter and then like have their bikinis underneath and be prancing through in the middle of February. So all of our like programmers are like, what the fuck is going (laughs) on? Oh my God, this is heaven. (laughs) (laughs) This is crazy. But um, yeah, and our entire thing was like, we would do this and just like, build a database and we had like literally a full-time guy whose job it was to manage this like influencer database of talent Hell of a job and then so i guess it wasn't quite february at this point but some point in like the winter and then our strategy was okay we have so many people now let's have them all promote this at exactly the same time um the ones who came on the trip obviously were required to, to post a tile but everybody else we just exchange them two free tickets for their post. Uh, and that worked great because like we wanted to be there, right? Mm-hmm. Like so it would make the event look better and make it more fun. And so they all want to come. That's like a really cool yeah. That really is cool extremely impressive because just coordinating like yeah. ten people for like a simultaneous type of yeah. day, same day post is extremely hard. Cause like I've done this stuff like that in the past and yeah. it's extremely difficult. On the scale you did is like mm-hmm. I'm sure it's a very easy when you we're not very easy. It's it's a lot easier when you're working with agencies that you know the house a lot of these talent, but still mm-hmm. it's extremely difficult and a very big feat, I think, actually. So what we did was we took probably like fifteen of the top ones to the island for that day and literally put everybody like in the communal living room and had these like chalkboards where we wrote exact instructions. We're like, all right guys, we're not moving until you all post. Like, all right, wait, 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 go. Like, and the good thing is like once they all posted exactly the same time, everybody else we'd like pre, you know, spoken to, once they saw the A-listers do it, they were quick to quick to follow on board. So it was all about getting that core group like in person to make sure it actually got done. And were you just like refreshing your feed and yeah, just oh seeing how it was going? Like, what, what were the nerves like in that moment when everyone posted? Were you like, let's hope this goes as well as we planned? So we like just as they were posting, our Wi-Fi in the island went out. Holy so shit! It's like they're like threw my computer in a backpack, hopped in a jet ski for like the twenty-mile ride to like the next island, <laughs> on cell phone tower. So I get there to get, I get to like see what's going on, or like our website's crashing, and like we don't really know what's happening. And then just like start celebrating and partying, and wake up the next morning, and like we sold a shitload of tickets, and I'm like, oh my god, this is real, like it is happening. Now, what was it like partying with everybody like that? Yeah, I got to come on. There's got to be a story there, a story or two. Yes, I think just like people connecting around the adventures. We like sort of unplanned the beginning had this like three-day script, which would culminate in a third night just being this crazy island party. And like you're in the middle of nowhere. There's like no pollution. Like you're seeing all the stars. There's a bonfire in the beach. There's like phosphorescence in the water. It's like when you're like swimming around, it's like lighting up. It's just like 
it's 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 as magical as it sounds but it's, it's very wild. smart because at, it's like you were taking these people all on these little trips and then like you were kind of just showing them what it could be like which made them extremely mm-hmm. interested that they wanted a ticket that i mean if you gave them free tickets you know i don't know exactly i'm sure everyone was different if you had to pay the money or if they just wanted tickets yeah. or like but it's very smart because you were taking these people on this trip showing them the adventure of how fun it is and then they're correlating to mm-hmm. okay well if this is a festival this is gonna be fucking insane i want to go to this yeah and you could use that almost. Yeah. it's very smart and the best thing is they would come back and then beyond like the online marketing, the like top talent has an incredible network of, of yeah. buyers, right? Like the most successful guys in the world try to court like the top models in the world. Like that's just like the way the world works or better or worse. And so they would come back and just like say how great the trip was. And so now that potential ticket buyer access we're getting from these like word to word, like like mouth to mouth sales is super good. And that helped the marketing as well beyond all the online stuff. Did you learn a lot of this from just growing Magnesis? Because you obviously have a very good touch on what mm-hmm. consumers want. And was that just kind of through your years of experience? Or was there a certain point where you really started to figure out what people really, you know, for the status, for example, like when did that kind mm-hmm. of click for you? I think with Magnesis, we were just starting to learn like what kind of moments went naturally viral in terms of. Like, what could we do where someone's going to go back and tell four friends that they have to buy like this service or this product or this experience right now? And the trips were clearly like what we were hitting on. Then once you started bringing the talent on these trips, that's like, okay, this is like a much hotter touch point than anything we've ever had before. And we have this moment in time right now where we're going to this amazing place and no one else in the world is going to. Like, let's capitalize on this and, and go on. It's amazing. Okay, so after you guys, after you sold a lot of tickets, or you guys yeah. sold out, I don't know. If you, did you guys sell out that after you guys did that whole campaign? Not, not that day. Like I, I think that in reality, we just didn't know what our capacity was going to be, so we just kept adding like more expensive ticket options, whether it was like a boat or a house or just like something crazy. And we sold some, we didn't sell others. But this is now like mid-December of 2016 and in the marketing video we promised a festival date for April of 2017 wow. so we literally had just over four months to make all this happen and that was just do you think that yeah, was like impossible. the biggest issue with everything that happened was it mostly like a timeline thing like maybe you just didn't give yourself enough time to set everything up I think like most of biggest issue is me lying to like the investors because like that pushed help away yeah and like yeah it sent me to jail it fucked everything up the second issue, the second biggest issue was the timeline. Okay. And if we had 18 months or even 12 months, I don't know if we'd be sitting here right now. Maybe it's a different conversation. Right. Yeah. Well, because then, maybe, our, maybe our podcast would be from the island. You, just, that's what I'm saying. you wouldn't have been like <laughs> yeah. in, a cor- yeah. in a corner though. And you wouldn't have had to maybe say yeah. those things if you had just more time in general. What, what was the, who, who determined the timeline? Why, why did you want to push four months so much? Was it just like you wanted, like you didn't want the virality to die down? I think with magnesis, like, the events we were doing were on such a small scale, but they're always at the last minute's notice. Mm-hmm. Like the longest lead time for Magnesis event was like two weeks. So I'm still kind of like living on this in the moment entrepreneurial mindset. So to me, four months felt like an eternity. Mm, and like, yeah. it sounds crazy right now, but I couldn't even fathom planning something four months out. So we're sitting there making the video. I'm like, yeah, yeah, April sounds great. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. If it's like ten years away, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, I just couldn't couldn't like comprehend like how little time it actually is and like what the logistics actually would have required to make this work. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Is like you know you obviously surround yourself with a pretty good team, and when they were telling you like maybe we should extend this, were you just like mm-hmm. you were saying, were you just living the fast life and like I know this is possible, I can make this happen, or what was your mindset at that time? I for sure thought we were going to pull it off, but I was also scared to do anything like that would make people unhappy. I was like based out of insecurity. So I was like too much of a pussy to pick up the phone and say, we're not going to be ready. I just didn't know how to make that phone call and deliver that bad news, whether it was to ticket holders, investors, employees, whatever. I was just too scared to, you know, I didn't know how to handle the responsibility Mm -hmm. and, you know, press the pause button and that probably would have solved a lot of problems. I feel like just like doing this whole thing, you're always got people that say you can't do it, but you know, yeah. being an entrepreneur, you're dealing with the people that say it's impossible all day. Mm-hmm. So I, from that aspect, I do get 
your mindset on that? Because like people say shit's yeah. impossible all the time. You're like, well, we're just gonna make it happen. That's how the best people in the world, <laughs> the best entrepreneurs in the world are. So I get that, mm-hmm. but maybe a little bit of overstep, but <laughs> but I get it. I get it in the broad sense yeah. things at the time. So I understand that. Do you remember I think oh sorry, keep going. Yeah, I think there's like a deeper issue I had where when a smart person would tell me I couldn't do something where I really wanted to prove them wrong. Mm. And I think that's, it's good. And like, if you have dumb people online who are like, Oh, this is the stupidest thing ever. Like you're going to fail. Like you just can't listen to that. But if like someone really, really experienced is telling you that, like you should probably listen. <laughs> and for some reason I never cared about like the, the people who didn't matter, if you will, but like the smart people, I'm like, Oh yeah, well fuck you. I'm going to show you're wrong. <laughs> I think that led to a lot of I, I got this. Yeah. Do you remember, um, you know, when did you get, if you remember this, do you remember the first time you were put in the position where you needed to lie to an investor? And did you kind of have that moral dilemma in your head and had to make a split decision or does that, do you remember that at all? Or did it kind of all blend together throughout this whole process? I don't remember the first time. Um, I do remember like a couple of key moments where the, the lies got worse, like initialized, like, Hey, everything is great mm-hmm. to, you know, here's fake numbers with a real revenue where there's like no gray area. It's like totally black and white wrong. But there was certainly like a handful of turning points where it's like, okay, I'm taking a step now that like I can never come back from. And I knew at the time every single one of those steps was wrong. I just like had the inability to, to zoom out and, you know, press the cancel button and just like stop the damage. Was, was that crazy. from a point of there was just too much money in already that you just couldn't stop? Or was it just like an ego thing or was it at, where was it literally just like the money that was already poured into you? Like we have to try to pull this off. Cause like if it doesn't go off, like people are gonna lose tons of money. I think that that's like, that's the right angle. But the real root cause was I was so like absorbed in what I had going on. I just couldn't understand there was life beyond like the success or failure of the fire festival. And like, to me it was everything, but in reality, Yes, some of the inv- investors were, you know, more well off than others, but to most of the investors, like this wasn't the most important thing going on in their life. And it really was only the most important thing for me. And I couldn't comprehend that. And I felt like, you know, life or death just mattered based on the success of the fire festival. And the only way to, to live or to succeed was to get the money to make it happen. And logic was wrong, but that was like the flawed logic at the time. Go ahead. Go ahead. You, uh, you know, kind of going through this whole thing, right? I mean, you hear a lot about the uh, urgent payment sheet, right? And how you'd have yeah. 50K one morning, $4 million at one point. Crazy. Beyond trying to, and w- w- I would love to dive into how that whole thing went, but what was your stress level like throughout this time? And how did you mm-hmm. deal with that? This was super, super unhealthy in like all phases of life. Would you know, stop working out would would eat like you know three dinners a night got fat as shit had a boy like yeah like like you know fit, like could barely have sex like physically I was just, like falling apart just like was not in a good spot and I literally like wake up at nine hungover get this early like this daily urgent payment sheet figure out how the fuck I can find a million dollars by two o'clock get the money by two, like solve fires till like eight or nine, go out and drink and then like wake up and just do it all again. And it was like this terrible blur of fearing waking up in the morning, just knowing I think get fucking knee in the face with some Excel document that was nearly impossible to fulfill. The turnaround and, time on the investment is so impressive though. And I mean, that's insane to be able to get yeah. X amount of dollars in a few hours like that. So, you know, hats off on that end. <laughs> For that part, yeah, it was a terrible way to survive. Did you did you have a just finding all those investors? Did you have a handful you would keep going to, like, oh, I need this, or like that you knew that would give them to because they believed in it, or did you have to like go like to to, like however I don't know how many investors you guys exactly had, like whatever tens of hundreds of investors to be like, hey, we need this little amount, this little amount, or did you just go to like lump sums with certain guys that trusted you? When when things got bad. I would put pressure on some of the investors I knew pretty well to like introduce me to more people. Mm. So I would call them up and be like, I'm making this name. Yeah. Like John, I need, you know, 500 K today. Like who can I talk to? Like this needs to happen or else we're fucked. And I would put the pressure in their court and then like they would introduce me to their friends. And that was like a never ending snowball. Right. So did it ever feel like it was going to end where you were just like, you can't wait till day of and just get this out of the way. Yeah, Like I had a, giant sign on the wall like days until fire yeah. festival and i thought that like okay i'm gonna get there the entire team is gonna take two weeks off just to you know 
reset so we all don't have heart attacks and then we're off to the races. Uh, you know, when uh, I remember specifically just kind of throughout research and documentary and such, you know, there was one part they were talking about where you kind of toward the last minute, you came up with these wristband ideas where people could load their money on. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, what was the thought process behind that? And, you know, was that something that was just an additional revenue to get this going or, you know, how did that whole thing come about too? It was like 90% because of revenue, 10% because of practical utility. Mm. Um, I guess practical utility was that we just didn't really have safe spaces for people to store thousands of dollars of cash on the island. So like the utility was to preload the bracelets and you could actually use those on the island for like drinks, food, you know, jet skis, whatever activity you want to participate in. But the other 90% was that we needed the money. And that was a, a quick way to get, you know, to solve one day as a daily urgent payment for a couple million dollars for the bracelets. Sure. And like we were just like going through every source to, to get it. If everything would have gone in like, everything would have been set up with the money that they had been sunk yeah. in, do you guys think you guys would have netted profit? Um, I doubt it. There were just so many like open balls in the air with like, sponsorships and like live streams and so many things that we're just like trying to get together at the last minute. I think the first weekend we would have just been totally crushed, but the second weekend we probably would have been able to close some like pretty good stuff for like weekend two. That said all in all, we would have been, we would have like definitely been in the red, but we would have had a brand. Right. And like, that was kind of the, the gamble we were taking. Take us through day of all this is going yeah. on. You've been through this shit yeah. storm. You know, you've done a lot of things you probably shouldn't have done. What is it like? I remember the night before there was a storm, right? Yeah. Give us the whole run through of just how it went. Yeah. So the festival was the technically Friday through Sunday for two weekends. Um, the big issue was we're getting people there. So we did was charter two 737 jets set up a temporary terminal in the Miami International Airport and schedule these planes to fly back and forth all day long, starting Thursday through the following Monday to get everybody there to take them all back. So the first plane was scheduled to arrive at like sunrise on Thursday morning, so 7 a.m., 8 a.m., whatever it was. So Wednesday night comes along and we're not quite ready. So I said, okay, no problem. Let's set lights up. We'll work you know, overnight and get the festival site ready to go. And as it's like on cue, this storm just rolls in and just doesn't go away. It's like every hour we're just like looking outside, the storm is there, the storm is there. The team's starting to fall asleep. People are like slumped over on the counter. We need to move one of our like container trucks. We give the intern the keys. He runs over the water line. Oh now the water is taken out. The bathrooms and the shower have no water now. And it's like everything that could go wrong the night before just like went wrong. And it was a blur where, you know, nighttime preparations became, okay, uh, guys, the plane just landed. What do we do now? God, that's that nuts. Been, yeah, yeah, that's that's scary. Scary. At, yeah. at a point, like, you guys, you obviously had an idea that this was not ready. Was there mm-hmm. last minutes where you're like, we have to pull this? And, like, people, because I, I saw that I mean, people said they were telling you, like, hey, we yeah. have to pull this, we have to pull this, we have to pull this. And you were just, they said that you had just, like, oh, we have a positive mindset here. We don't work with negativity. Yeah. Looking back, <laughs> is, <laughs> looking, I, I get Crazy. it. I get it. Trust me. But, but looking <laughs> back on that, do you think that. How, how how should I say this? Was there any opportunities where you're like in your head where you're like, I should pull this, but then you're just like, just couldn't do it. The first time I truly believe we were fucked was that Wednesday night when the storm was there and our core, like 20 people were just depleted. And the people that were full of energy for like the four months prior were like literally like slumped over like this. And like, I could barely wake them up. And at that point, I'm like, okay, something is wrong here. Like, what do we do? But it really wasn't until that night before that I, that I could at least comprehend that myself. Um, in the uh, documentary as well, they were kind of talking about you took a very long ATV ride while all this was going on, you know, day of, right? Was that, what was kind of the point of that whole thing? Oh, I don't know. I, I didn't recall that. Uh, Maybe that was one that of those parts. Parts. <laughs> what, what did I say? They basically <laughs> said like yeah. everything was going on and you got on an ATV and took off and no one saw you for like two hours. That's at least what was oh, recounted. Really? <laughs> oh, really? But that okay. may have been a flop. <laughs> I, I certainly like the ATV was my method of transportation. So that, like, sure. but cool. yeah, I don't, I don't know where, where I would have gone. I think what I do remember is that I took a phone call from one of the big tabloids while I was standing on this milk crate and they were actually live streaming the situation on their website. 
and the, and the reporter from the same tabloid goes to me, Hey, we heard you ran away and you're on your yacht with uh, cocaine and hookers and you're not at the festival. And I'm like, your very website is live streaming right now, surrounded by everybody oh. like in the middle of the festival site. So like, while I was certainly wrong, it just kind of goes to show, I think, how some of the, uh, some of the stories spread. Yeah. Like you were saying, right. It's hard to play a game of telephone, right. Especially when you couldn't respond to it. Yeah. Um, For sure. so when this, when everyone was all, you know, obviously visibly angry when they showed up and everything was not what they were promised. All this stuff was flooded. Um, what was your, what was in your head? What was the situation to resolve? Like what was your steps to make this, I guess, better So planes start landing and like the final decision that ruined any attempt at a successful event. Like mind you, I was still going to jail cause I lied to the investors and that wasn't going to change at this point. I didn't know it, but like that was a reality. But my, the final bad decision was that, okay, the tent area is not ready yet. Let's send everybody to this beach on the other side of the island and let's send over all the boats, all the jet skis, a bunch of booze, get everybody free alcohol, like let them go have fun and party in this beach and to give us another like 10 hours to get this place ready. In reality, 10 hours wasn't going to do anything and it would have been much better to deal with like 80 people at a time. It's like, was a plane load coming to the festival site first thing in the morning when they're fresh and alert and people probably would have been okay. But the fact was that we sent like all a thousand people who arrived that day to this party island and had them come back at like 10 o'clock to the tents. So at that point, they're wasted. There's a thousand people all trying to find their keys to their tents at the exact same time. And it was dark and like just chaos ensued. So and, and like in reality, 10 hours wasn't enough to dramatically change how it looked anyway. Like we had what we had and we didn't have what we didn't have. So that like terrible decision cost the event at the end. And backing up a little bit, honestly, um, you know, a little bit before this all happened, obviously there was an island switch, mm-hmm. right? And it was marketed as still yeah, the same yeah. island. Um, you know, how did you, did, I mean, you obviously knew people were going to find out about this. Like they, you, they obviously were not going to Escobar's Island or the new island that we picked. Like, um, you know, who made that decision and why would, you know, why wouldn't you be just transparent that, Hey, we can't do it on this island. We need to go to this certain area and we have to build the infrastructure on here. Dude, that's like one of the biggest lessons, like for me and everybody else listening, we got kicked out of like two previous islands and had to keep switching locations. Why couldn't I just say it? Like, I think it almost would have added to the story and the mystique and made the festival even cooler. If I'm like, Hey guys, our marketing video went fucking crazy. We said it was Pablo Escobar's Island. So they said, if I ever land there again, they're going to sue my ass. We have to, we have to switch locations. Like I literally could have done a 15 second video for no cost saying that. I think like the festival now goes like even more viral, right? Yeah. But like the fact that I was so scared to admit any kinks like in the armor just created so many issues. And I think like transparency just helps there in so many ways. Cause like this, a real story is, is more interesting than me saying, Hey, things are perfect. And like when everybody knows like something probably isn't exactly right under the scenes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. You've had like some of the biggest lessons that you could have as an entrepreneur so far. And are yeah. you, I mean, obviously you're planning on continuing on your journey of entrepreneurship and everything. So that's cool that you get to use all those things and, and kind of like, what are you working on, yeah. on next? Yeah. So like once again, super early for me, it's been four months so far, mm-hmm. but the first project that I'm working on is called Pirate, spelled P-Y-R-T. And the concept is to kind of get back to the good parts of all of this. And that really starts with these 20, 30 person trips to these adventurous areas. So Speaking with a couple of like really small remote boutique hotels that Pirate would ideally take over. And on these islands, we'd host like podcast hosts, artists, content creators as a place to get away, try these crazy adventures and just like create content. But the goal this time is instead of trying to do like a physical festival, we're testing these live stream rigs where we live stream everything happening at this island or really any hotel location. And then give the people watching the ability to actually like change and impact the lives of all the talent who are on the island. So it's like a reality show so, kind of vibe yeah. <clears throat> a little bit. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, like it's almost like the Sims, but like with this real rarefied place and real characters and it's allowing anybody to come, but not only watch, but to really get involved with the live of uh, just super interesting people doing crazy things. Have you started pitching this to people yet, to, to investors and things like that? And have you, have you hit any roadblocks? Yes. Yeah, so like I can't, I'm not allowed to, not allowed to raise capital. Okay. Um, just due to my like, charges essentially. So 
we're just trying to fund things for like we're doing media deals currently filming a tv show uh and then have like an agency called pirate collective and we're just helping other brands like viral stunt marketing work so really just like hustling and trying to find any ways to to get revenue to fund the tech of, of pirate like engineering salaries are still still crazy so. and and you know when you were serving time right i mean i'd love to dive a little bit more into that you know i know you mm-hmm. spent a lot of time in solitary yeah. and uh you know the story behind mm-hmm. bags and everything but um yeah, like he DM me after the uh, after the did podcast he really? recently. <laughs> Who did? Oh, yeah. yeah, so bags really. Yeah, yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> yeah, let me let me see what what day he DM me. But it was like within the past couple of weeks. That is amazing. That's the guy with the without the colon, right? Is that the story? Or- yeah, yeah, but give us crazy that. crazy side note on this. Let me pull my message here from bags. I'm surprised he found you too. Right after you were talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm following it up. He's been sending me a lot. Of <laughs> On Friday, last Friday, so like, yeah, six six days ago, he uh, he DM'd me, but he goes, "Pirate, pretty good. Heard you got out. Um, heard you mentioned me in your podcast." LOL. So, <laughs> what's crazy is like Bags is probably I don't know how old you are, Bags, like in your fifties now, right, mid fifties, and. We did a couple of podcasts, but we've also done like traditional media run. Like I went on like uh, Piers Morgan, like Fox News, uh, Good Morning America, like all like the mainstream media places. And middle-aged guy who lives in like the Pittsburgh area saw about this on like the podcast and not like the mainstream news. So it just kind of goes to show how like three YouTubers can just like absolutely come and destroy these like mainstream media machines. And it kind of just like shows like where media is going and the power of these new age podcasts. It's yeah, it's definitely the new wave of just everyone consuming their information. Yeah. People do have the choice now of who they want to listen to. And it is funny how that is moving away from yeah. traditional media outlets. Um, but for everyone yeah. that doesn't know, tell the story about Bags, how you met him and all that situation. Yeah. Bags is a great guy. So we'll preface it with that. Yeah. Love Bags. He helped me, uh, apart from the shitting, he helped me get through a lot of the, a lot of the time. But, but, uh, he was actually there when I came up with the pirate content. But anyway, I was alone in solitary and a lawyer basically complained and they go, okay, no problem. You know, we'll give you a celly, like a cellmate as they call it. And we're all kind of behind these like thick metal doors and you can't really see anybody. People can kind of come and like scream to the sides and you can kind of hear people in different cells. They're like, Oh, McFarlane, you're getting bags. You're getting bags. <laughs> I'm like, Oh God, what is this mean? <laughs> so bags comes in. He's like, hi, they call me bags. They got a lot of money. And then they hear everybody else screaming, that's not true, that's not true. So the reality was, it was true, but there's also more to the story. So Bax had gotten into a shootout with the police, and in the shootout, lost his colon and never got the colon back. So he'd have to, you know, shit every 30 minutes. But on the flip side is, he sued the police and won a bunch of money. So he did, so it was like part money bags and part like bathroom situation. But yeah, Bax is hilarious. Like, I guess he's, he's, he's out now, which is great to hear. But yeah, good guy, you know. Help me push through it. Moving on from like Fire Festival now and like obviously like the fuck ups that we're seeing there. Going into Pirate or Pirate now, are you gonna did you learn a lot of like experiences that like obviously didn't work in the past that you know like what things you're gonna do now? Like what's the biggest thing you took away from the, not to do from Fire Festival? So I'm trying to become like better at finding people who I want to like work with and be friends with for a long period of time. And I think at fire, I was really bad at like churning people out. It's like, okay, I need to get this done. So let me just go find someone who can do it. And I was like a very, I had a lot of transactional relationships in my life. And I think like that just like, wasn't a really rewarding way to live. And so I'm trying to just do a better job of like the core pirate team right now of finding people who like, whether it's pirate or something else we're coming up with in two years, like we'll stick together for a long period of time. And it's been obviously really, really early on, but there's been a number of people I'm like, okay, wow, like this is a much better and sustainable way to live. So less about trying to like use someone's skill set and just mm-hmm. paying for it and more about just like finding good people that you, you want know, to be around. And like life is better that way. In uh, you know, in lieu of just full transparency, has it have you been presented with challenges with meeting new people right now? And how has that been when it comes to people trusting you? You know, you're, you're kind of coming in the same industry, yeah. but you know, how's that been? It's been really, it's been an experience and like definitely have different emotional waves. Um, 
there were, you know, uh, there was a guy I met in jail who was really kind of quick to show up. He, he got out before me and I was like quick to kind of show up on my doorstep when I went to the halfway house and like was supporting me a little bit in the halfway house and like trying to become like, you know, friends with me and get involved with me. And then found out that he had been lying to my friends, my family, my coworkers, everybody around me about his history. He did like a lot of fucked up things. And like, that was kind of scary for me. And like, so I had to like kind of cut ties from a lot of the, the prison group, which was, you know, tough to do because that's who I was surrounded by for a number of years. And then after that, it's like, how can I just slow the fuck down and just find the right people? So I think like we've done a pretty decent job with the core group. I think one thing I'm still trying to understand are the people who weren't like directly impacted by like fire or magnesis, who experienced a lot of the good shit, but immediately disappeared when I got in trouble or now like running back. I'm kind of like lukewarm. Like, do I understand that, you know, they were just like preserving themselves, even though they did nothing wrong. And like, I should be open, like open arms to them. Or is it like, you know what, fuck them. They only kind of took and then, you know, they see there's a chance that something might happen again in the future. They're running back now. So like, I don't know the answer yet. All kind of things that, you know, keep me awake and that I think through. Yeah. It must be kind of hard having people have preconceived conceptions about you now because like the news paints a picture of you and it's like, I'll be honest with you, it's, it's not a good one. Like mm-hmm. people just look at you as like a scam artist, con yeah. artist, et cetera, et cetera. Is it hard having to go to investors now and try to get money? Because like, the news is powerful either way because like social media, obviously you're trying to make your way and have your own type of image that you're trying to show that you're not these things. And it was just a fuck mm-hmm. up mistake that it was just, you were younger. It just didn't inexperienced. Is it hard going to investors now well, trying to find money for this? To segue from that, you said you can't do investors anymore, but, oh, no. but it's a good question for like oh, uh, trying to bring on yeah. employees or yeah. customers for your agency now. So you have customers and employees or maybe you have the same objections. Yeah. I'm finding there's very few people who are like in the middle. And I think there's a lot of smart people who just want nothing to do with me. So there's no conversation, mm-hmm. right? Like they don't reach out or like if I try to reach out to them, they don't respond. But most of the people who are, you know, established companies or customers or groups that I speak with, like they've been super supportive. And I kind of think that like really smart people feel strongly in either direction. So I'm not getting a lot of like the teetering, like, well, maybe, but I don't know. It's more of like, fuck it. Like we don't care. Like we believe in the good we're in or like fuck off so much. We're not even going to respond to you. So I think it's like been more of like a visceral, you know, polarizing. It comes with a little bit of experience. Like if you've tried something like pretty crazy before or tried to pull something off, Mm -hmm. then in, I think a lot of cases you'd also recognize that mistakes are really easy to make when you're trying to do something really awesome. So I think maybe some people that have tried before and maybe failed or done well could maybe see your side a little easier. Yeah. So like entrepreneurs are definitely more open because I think like they failed a lot. They stumbled a lot. They've done stupid things a lot. You know, people in more traditional industries where like they have someone to report to and they can, you know, they would get in trouble for having any controversy are obviously more hesitant. But I also think there's some like weird, everybody only cares about themselves at the end of the day. Right. So there's like, I think everybody kind of has like a weird mentality where they like, like, wait, what did I do wrong? Like, like them thinking this and they start like worrying about their own issues and how they kind of contextualize like their own problems and like skeletons in their closet. I think it's super interesting. I can almost like see people's wheels churning sometimes as you know, they all kind of bring it back to themselves and what they're ultimately worried about or not worried about. And obviously, you know, now that you have, you know, how many companies have you really been involved in now up until this point total? So I had three like that were venture backed. Uh, splaying Lamy's and fire. And then the ones like before that were just small, you know, non-funded. And are you startups. never able to raise capital ever again? Or is there a, uh, a point where you're able to actually go back into the market and do that? Okay. Uh, I'm not sure. So yeah, it's like, can you yeah, pull like a, can you pull like a Kanye do right and do a GoFundMe? He did it and he got it somehow. Yeah. Remember that when he raised like yeah. a ton of money on there, when he went like bankrupt, yeah. uh, was that, I think it was like four years ago or something like that. Yeah, he did. Oh, that. really? And it actually worked for him. Oh, that's hilarious. That, I didn't <laughs> that know. is yeah. crazy. Like, so, you know, he had Yeezy after crazy. that. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Fuck. I mean, yeah. I guess, True. you know, one yeah. question, I know we're kind of getting closer, but I was saying when it comes through all this, right, you've, you've had such a crazy experience. You've done so many things. You've learned a lot of lessons. How have you not been demotivated? to go back into the entrepreneur game? You know, is it just, do you feel like it's in your blood? Because coming from me, like I have that kind of entrepreneurial spirit. I've tried a bunch of different shit throughout my life and I feel like I'll never get demotivated. Do you feel that same way? Or 
did it cross your mind? Mm -hmm. Like, maybe I shouldn't try something new. Maybe I should try to play it safe and just see what I can do, um, you know, moving forward. So I think I kind of came out of the gate swinging this time around. Um, I think it's harder mentally more than anything else. Every time something like small goes wrong now, I think I take it like a lot harder than I did before. And I think I was really good, which is ultimately bad. I was really good before at ignoring and not really caring about like a lot of the small losses or negative like feedback or whatever it was. And now I think I take everything to heart more because I understand like what the potential downsides are. So I almost, I, I can see why people who go through like a massive failure just like lose all their ambition. And like, I totally get it. But yeah, I, I think I have, uh, I have like, I'm super young, right? I'm 30, 31 now. So. Hopefully I have 20, 30 years to try to build something. So might as well try to do something in that sure, Yeah. And then with this agency, are you focused more on, you know, like brand events? I mean, you kind of talked about helping brands go viral. What is the uh, core principle in that? What is some stuff you're focusing mm -hmm. on, you know, service wise? Like helping create content and then marketing strategies for that awesome, content. Totally. I mean, shit, they can't take that away from you. Your marketing is on point. I'll give it to you. <laughs> no, that's, that's close to what Dom yeah. and I do. So we have to talk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. definitely. <laughs> Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. No, but it's I, good that you yeah, came out. Sure. There's two ways that people come out. They they could have either looked to you like, oh, Billy McFarland's out of jail. Look, he's like a, he's a loser now. He's he's nothing after Firefest. But that the fact that you're coming out swinging and actually putting forth an effort to try to like do big things like that says a lot. Mm -hmm. Everyone hates people at first, and then like it's like a slow but sure trend. They're like, they're like oh, they're kind of on his side now. Well, look, he's he's paying everything back. He's doing what he's got to do. He's making amends. I think doing that is important in like rebuilding your image. And it's, been, it's been like four years of people not hearing Billy's side as well or getting to hear from him. And just yeah. us getting to know you right now, I can tell like, you know, you're you're a much better person than the, the picture has been painted. You made some mistakes, yeah. but who hasn't, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's one of the hardest things about prison is like it's forced time out and then just not being able to respond. Like even people who knew me really well and like who might've been there for the certain like event or moment who were hearing that event or moment. Now we talked about in a different narrative by the media, even though they, way, they start like questioning their own memory when they hear so many different people like tell them about it. And then I've literally seen it where like I go and see someone who I haven't seen in five, six, seven years and we start talking and like two or three minutes in, they kind of like snap, like, oh, wait, like this was the guy that I remember. It wasn't <laughs> the story that was concocted about that one time when something didn't happen. Like, yes, I was wrong. Yes, I deserve to go to jail. But it's been really crazy even seeing like what the media messaging can do to a normal person who didn't know me before. So, yeah. It's and they're looking for that. Fun. Like as a news outlet, it's like there's going to be people that like, like Pierce Morgan, he, he honestly, he grilled you, which is like his thing. What like they, yeah. people like the news outlets, they're like, they want that like negative negativeness on somebody. Cause it just brings more clicks. Yeah. Like I think it's unhealthy because how, yes, he fucked up, made a mistake. Your sure. life is never going to be the same again with like, you know, the money you owe and all this shit. So it's like, why not paint more of a positive picture of what he's trying to do right now instead of just like, I mean, like Pierce kept trying to like, you know, contort you on other things and come back. Like, well, you did this. Well, you should have thought about the time. But okay, how about we like shine a light on more of the positive things and yeah. what you have not been able to say for four years while you've been like in jail? <laughs> everyone already knows all the negative. Yeah. Let's take a yeah, look. That's yeah, that's what I'm saying. Everyone knows the negative. Yeah, yeah. They've been hearing about you for, you know, since the documentary came out and how many people saw it. Like, they know the bad side. Why don't we hear the side that's more positive and maybe what people didn't see behind closed doors? That's what I think. I, I think the issue for mainstream media is that there are more people in like middle America who were too scared to mm -hmm. try rather than the number of people who tried and failed. So for that audience who is too scared to ever try, the negative press is actually a feel-good mm -hmm. story for mm -hmm. them because they're sitting at home mad they never really went for it. And now they're justifying all their life decisions like, hey, look. Look at that guy who went and did that. Like I was smart enough to never go and try something too crazy because now I have my kids in my car or my husband or whatever the situation is. I'm like, that goes to that audience. And this is why podcasts are super interesting for me is because the podcast audience is more like younger, cutting edge, you know, open to new concepts. And they're the ones who are maybe thinking about trying to go for that. So I think it's just more relatable to them and just kind of shows yeah. a shift in mindset. And I hope people you know, that are watching this that maybe have that mindset can just take your story and just learn from it instead of, you know, blowing yeah. up the comments. Hopefully they can take mm -hmm. it, learn from it and say, okay, if I ever start a festival, like here's, you know, maybe where he went wrong and here I could, this is how I could do it differently, you know? Mm -hmm. Step one, no, no island. <laughs> and also like, <laughs> no, 
<laughs> but, but like, I think the biggest lesson is, and so many entrepreneurs, like I just remember a lot of my peers and I was starting like splitting and being around them in the accelerator programs. Like they think life is that one business, especially for the young entrepreneurs. Like life is not your first business or your third business, or your second business, whatever. There's so much more to it. And if you fail, honestly, you're not going to piss anybody off. Like, yeah, your investors might be mad for a couple of weeks, but like if they're professionals, like they'll get over it and they'll appreciate you like taking that swing. And they're the ones most likely to back you, like back you again on the next one. So it's really never that big of a deal if you fail, honestly. And I think that a lot of first time entrepreneurs don't understand there's life outside of that business. Like your, your, your life success and happiness. Fail honestly and fail forward. Yeah. And there's there's no problem with that. I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of coming up on time right now. So I just want to say thank you very much uh, for the opportunity to talk to you. It's been great to get to know you and I look forward to, uh, you know, hopefully connecting in the future. Um, do you have any kind of last message you'd like to share with everybody watching right now on uh, what you're doing moving forward and everything like that? Yeah, thank you guys. So really trying to build pirate. Um, if I'm allowed to say (laughs) we're hiring. So if anybody wants to join us, uh, we, we have a really cool partnership with a company called Bounty Hunter World. So if you go to bountyhunterworld.com slash pirate, you can see all of our jobs. And if you refer any of your friends that we end up hiring, like you'll join our pirate crew and we'll take you to one of our locations and kind of make you part of the squad. So <laughs> lots of people awesome. to join us. Yeah. 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 And guys, like if, if you're thinking about it, go for it. Just do it honestly and just try to make shit pop off and well, good things will we happen. We wish you the like, best. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. I appreciate it, Billy. No. Thanks thank so much, guys. Billy. Thanks a lot. Talk to you soon. Yep. Everybody, Have thank you for holiday. watching. See yeah. you later. Later, See you. guys. Bye-bye.